Well, I'm feeling a little rusty. I haven't preached for a very long time and uh, so you'll perhaps need to be a little patient with me um, because not only am I a little rusty but God's then pushed me completely out of my comfort zone like he does and um, given me this topic to speak to and my comfort zone would be that I'd grab a passage of scripture and unpack it and uh, you know, you always know that you're smack bang on what God wants to say when you start with the foundation of Scripture. And even if you've got the wrong Scripture and the wrong timing, at least you know it's on the foundation of God's Word. And uh, so this morning, uh, I hope that we will really um, be able to dig into something quite different um, than digging into Scripture and um, see whether we can in, indeed find God's fingerprints all over it and actually have something that's meaningful and useful for us. Um, of course, today has, is a special day, isn't it? It's Australia Day! <laughs> and that's what God gave me as a topic. You know, let's talk on Australia Day. And um, I was like, well, there's no scripture that says, you know, here's Australia and this is God's plan and his purpose and, and what he did and, and how he did it. But rather... I found myself having to go to a history book and uh, dig through a history book and go, what can I see of God's work and, and hand on us as a people? I was uh, a little dumbfounded uh, as I did this in my own ignorance of what Australian history actually is. What is Australia Day? You know, why do we celebrate it on January 26th? You know, and... You know, culturally, is it in fact Invasion Day as has been coming out in, our, in the press over the last few years? You know, and if it's Invasion Day, how can that be something that God has a hand in? How's that all hang together? So who knows what Australia Day actually is? Was it when Australia was first discovered? Sort of. Maybe. <laughs> what do you reckon it is, Crystal? The first fleet? The first fleet coming? Okay. So that was that was Captain Captain Cook, wasn't it? No, it wasn't Captain Cook. <laughs> yeah, we have all these vague bits and pieces of that perhaps we learnt in school, and it's like I know there was a Captain Cook in there somewhere, and it wasn't Captain Hook from Peter Pan. It was Captain Cook, and I know that there was um, a first fleet. Like, who was on the first fleet? Like, was it a bunch of convicts? Because I know Australia was founded with a whole bunch of convicts. Were they on the first fleet or, would, or did they send a first party to actually set the place up? So as I dug through, what I was particularly doing in looking at the history, as I said, is I wanted to see what God's fingerprints were. I actually wound back a little further than the, uh, the 26th of January, 1788, and went, what came before that? The French? No, not the French. It wasn't the French. Maybe the Portuguese, maybe some Spaniards, the Dutchies. Yeah, okay. So there's some Frenchies in there as well. I was, I must admit, basically I ended up sticking with with Manning Clark's A Short History of Australia. It was the short version. <laughs> so maybe I missed the French. It was really interesting to find that the Chinese could have perhaps discovered Australia, but didn't. 
because of their circumstance. The Muslims perhaps could have found, found Australia, but because of the history there, they drew back and, and didn't actually find Australia. There was the Hindus up in the Indonesian sort of area, and they could have come down and found Australia, except for their understanding of the world and the way it worked and navigation and so on, basically following coastlines and not really being able to navigate across oceans. And so out of all these circumstances, Australia wasn't discovered at that stage by those people. And then there was these... The Hindus actually had some really interesting stories that they spread to the traders, um, that there was down south and perhaps to the east of Java, there was islands of gold. And out of those myths and stories of these islands of gold, in 1606... There was a bit of uh, travelling going on by uh, a Captain William Jarts who actually bumped into the west coast of the pokey bit over here up that we now call Queensland. And he has what is probably the first recorded um, impressions of Australia from the European culture's view of it. Basically, he says, very briefly, there is no good to be done there. That's it. (laughs) He wasn't impressed with what he found. So the Dutch then bumped into the the West Coast about 40 years later and the the Dutch uh, East Indian Company decided to uh, say it was time for us to find out about this Australis Incognito, the unknown Southland. I had these theories that you know the world with all the with all these uh, continents on one side needed something to counterbalance on the other, and so there must be something there. So they sent out a crew or some explorers to go and find what they could find, and um, basically there was uh, again a sort of a findings of of once they uh, had charted a whole lot of the coastline. The reports back were basically this, that rather than finding riches of, a golden, of the Golden Islands, what they found was rather naked beach-roving uh, wretches that were so destitute they didn't even have rice. They were excessively poor and a very malignant nature. He who wants to, to do business and to find out what the land produces must walk it. So the Dutch West Indies, uh, East Indies, com- East, sorry, the Dutch East India Company basically decided it was too hard. Let's give up. That can be for somebody else. And then it was only by happening that our James Cook, who had circumnavigated around the islands of New Zealand, decided he was going to take the shortcut home and bumped into the east coast of Australia and actually found what he reported was as somewhat more pleasant. From there, there was a couple of tours that he did where he came back and he discovered a little more. And um, he actually started to talk about um, the natives uh, in a way that actually said, I think they've actually found what it is to really live. 
Um, they're not hung up on the possessions and things like us. But, um, but you know, and he, he talked about them as the noble natives. And uh, so there was a bit of a better feel for things. And then it was Joseph Banks. So Joseph Banks, who had travelled with Cook, uh, that then suggested to the British House of Commons that maybe we should uh, establish a colony of thieves at Botany Bay. That idea actually grew some traction because there was a mess in the English jailing system. Um, they weren't able to send those convicted of transportation to the US anymore. The situation had got so bad that basically the prisons were so disgraceful uh, that they were concerned that the, the uh, diseases that were growing there would actually invade out into the general populace um, was how bad things were. So in 1786... The Home Office announced it pleased His Majesty that through, though it advisable to fix upon Botany Bay as the place for convicts under sentence of transportation, he instructed the Admiralty uh, to provide proper numbers of vessels to convey 750 convicts to Botany Bay together with such provisions, necessities and implements for agriculture that might be necessary for their use in the new land. The wit of London mocked the idea of a colony of thieves. Members of the government, um, they argued, had grown giddy by being carried to great elevation and, and conceived this mad scheme of a land of thieves. One man in Scotland reduced to the deepest woes when he was told of the expense of the proposal, described it as the most absurd prodigal of um, the imp and impractical vision that had ever intoxicated the mind of man. There was a few people that weren't quite impressed with the idea, hey? <laughs> but I wonder whether God had a plan in amongst all of that. I think he did. Because as Arthur Philip was a appointed as, as the commissioner and commissioned to be the, the captain general and governor in chief and, and gathered together the fleet. There was a man that couldn't settle with the idea of a, a colony being established without a representative of God being part of the crew. So he volunteered and became part of the crew. And so... What we find is that as the first fleet comes to uh, land in Botany Bay on the 20th of January, that they discovered indeed that the land was pretty miserable. It was drought-stricken and waterless. They sent out a little crew, went round the corner up into Sydney Cove and went, that's much better, let's go there. And so six days later, that first fleet with 750 convicts, some military guard and one chaplain and a bunch of food landed, unraveled a flag, shot off some fire, gunfire and drank to their success of landing. Sounds like Australia Day, doesn't it? <laughs> we still shoot off a few fireworks and uh, a whole bunch of us get drunk <laughs> and call that a celebration. But just a few days later, the very first Sunday 
after the First Fleet had landed, we read that the First Fleet had sailed into Sydney Cove. Richard Johnson, the first chaplain to the colony of New South Wales, preached his initial sermon under some great gum tree to the um, congregation of convicts and troops. It was an impressive occasion. Careful preparations were made. The convicts were ordered. Hey, you like that? Would you like to be ordered to come to church? Yeah, I suppose if you're a convict, that's the way it rolls, isn't it? But they were ordered to argue, um, to appear as clean as, as um, circumstances would admit. And no man um, was to be absent on the account, on any account, whatever. The guards was to be changed early, uh, than usual, so that they were given those who had been relieved time to, to cleanse themselves before church. And the church drum, the church drum, get that? They had drums at the first church service. <laughs> it wasn't a crusty old organ that they'd bore over. Um, the first drum was beat at 10 o'clock. Johnson's text was from Psalm 116, verse 12, which reads, What shall I render unto the Lord for all his benefits towards me? It was appropriate for this special occasion. The first fleet of 11 ships had survived the gruelling eight-month voyage and had lost only 32 lives. It was a time to thank God for their safe deliverance and what better way um, was there than man to show their thanks than to take up the cup of salvation and call upon the Lord's name, which of course is verse 13 of Psalm 116. The service was well re- received according to the captain Watkins Trench, uh, who noted that the troops and convicts equally regular and attentive, more or less nobody fell asleep. Um, so from the plan of uh, ill-conceived men to actually start a colony of, of thieves, God placed somebody there to actually see that they were pointed towards God. And you know, every Sunday since, there has been a church service. There have been people being called to look to God here in this land. God's fingerprints can be seen just a little bit earlier than that, though. In fact, a couple of hundred years earlier, in 1606, Pedro Ferrandez de Curios, I'm probably killing the pronunciation, was a Portuguese navigator in the service of Spain. And while he was searching for Australis Incognito, on the day of Pentecost, on the 14th of May, 1606, he declared, let the heavens and the earth and the waters uh, with all their creatures and those present witness that I, Captain Pedro Fernand de Quarius, in the name of Jesus Christ, hoist the emblem of the Holy Cross on which his person was crucified and, and whereon he gave his life for the ransom and remedy of all of the human race 
on this day of Pentecost, the 14th of May, I take possession of all the parts of the south as far as the poles in the name of Jesus, which from now on shall be called the southern land of the Holy Ghost. And this always and forever and to the end that um, all natives and in this said land the holy and sacred evangel may be preached zealously and openly. He declared this to be the great south land of the Holy Spirit even knowing reportedly he may not have even been able to find the place. And so God laid down a blessing over this land which we can then see was picked up by Jackson and preached about to say he has delivered us to this place and we're going to give him praise. So what is it to be an Aussie, to come under that blessing? Can we today celebrate? You know, a start of a bunch of convicts. For 80 years, 164,000 convicts were sent here. And yet here we stand in one of the freest places on, the earth, on earth. Doesn't that sound like the things that God does? He takes the captive and he blesses them and sets them free. That's what he's done for each of us. We've been captive even though we weren't convict. We were a convict to the things of our sinful nature. And God raised up his son to set us free. So as we celebrate Australia Day, we can see that plan that God laid out throughout history of his son being laid down for us. We can see that echoed in so many different ways through our own history as Aussies. And so while we might go, but I don't identify as being someone who wears thongs, drinks beer and watches football, we can go, what is it to be an Aussie today? And how does that fit to God's plan? God's plan is, I think, best expressed through the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the good news. That good news is that the captive has been set free. That whole story of the captive being set free is again reflected in our own history. Here we are in the city of Melbourne. And while there was the rumours of there being an island of gold, Melbourne was actually founded on a gold rush, the riches of freedom, of God at work, has set the captives free. And so we look, then go, well, how do we go into all the world? You know what? God set up this place to be so desirable that the whole world comes here. We have one of the most multicultural societies on the planet, where those from far lands come, whether they're coming to seek the gold 
or whatever it is that they're coming for. Most are coming for the freedom that we have. And that freedom is the foundation of what God has knitted into the very fabric of, of who we are as Aussies. And so my encouragement today as Australia Day is to actually celebrate it and honour God by lifting up the cup of salvation to those who don't know him, to those who need to know what true freedom is, to the convict that is captured by the enemy. Let's celebrate it. Let's go, that's what it is to be a Christian Aussie celebrating Australia Day. Let's get on our knees and call out to God for those who are lost, those who are caught and captives, the convicts, and actually continue to build upon his story of actual transformation from a colony of thieves to a place of freedom. Let's pray. Lord God, we, uh, we thank you that you turn the logic of this world on its head, that we can stand in this place in freedom, calling upon your name because of the plans that you laid out for, for this nation, that the folly of man is to make a colony of thieves. And you say, no, this is the great south land of the Holy Spirit, as declared hundreds of years before. This is a land of freedom, and we thank you for that heritage, that this is a land of freedom that we um, can be set free, but not just free in living a life um, of no conflict, no war, but live a life free of the true um, freedom that your spirit brings, that freedom to enter into a relationship with you, that freedom of being able to know what it is to have a heavenly father who lays down his life for us, that would cry out over us and call us into, into relationship with you. Lord, as we, uh, we celebrate today, we thank you for your good work here in this land. We thank you for the work um, that you've done in our lives. We thank you that we can lift up that cup of salvation and declare your goodness. Lord, help us to be able to find our true identity, not in being an Aussie, not in being an, an import from a foreign land who has come to a dry and desolate place um, that has somehow been enriched, enriched and uh, knows your hand, but rather to know that we were set free, that we are your sons and daughters called to this land, called to, this, um, to our neighbours that are coming from all the corners of this world. May every one of them hear what it is to know a loving God who sets the convict free. May we be your mouthpiece for that. May you give us a circumstance, an opportunity to talk about the freedom that you've brought into our lives to those around us each and every day, we pray.